What's going on, guys? Uh, welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. Today, I'm your host for the ad space. This is Austin. I'm sitting down with Rob. What's going on, dude? Hey, man. How's it going? Oh, you know, another day in paradise. Loving it. Oh, yeah. Um, lots of work to be done. And Mike's out of town, screwing around with Midland SWAT, you know, and Kevin got... Where's Kevin? I noticed how you didn't say he was screwing around with the horses because you were down there for that part. I was down there screwing around so with the So now he's just screwing yeah. down afterwards. Hey, man, we needed a day off after like two years. I'm not oh, dude, doing I, I hear that. Um, Anyway, all right, guys, we're going to jump into this ad space for you. So first up is Triarch Systems. So uh, Chris Reeves and the crew down at Triarch have always been very good to us. They were here for a grand opening. Um, they've always treated us like family, which is really important for everything that we're doing here for the community aspect of Fieldcraft Survival. But Triarch Systems, if you're not familiar, make some of the best weapon systems on the planet. Um, I've used them. Uh, I know a lot of our instructors use them, and Mike's Tri-11 is just like buttery smooth. Yeah. And we know we've talked about this before, but custom guns are not quite as hard to get as uh, just yeah. the regular manufactured guns. Mm -hmm. uh, they're still building up a weight now because yeah. even that's getting uh, a little out of control. It is, but yeah. they're they're not as bad as everything else, so no. you can get it a lot sooner. Yep, and it's I, I mean again, they're just some of the best guns and weapon systems I've ever I've ever handled. So um, head over to TriarchSystems.com and use code FIELDCRAFT, and it'll save you 5% on your next build. And uh, next up, we've got Haven Tents. Uh, Haven Tents is an awesome piece of equipment. We sell that here at the store in Heber. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an awesome system that actually integrates the sleeping pad, uh, a mosquito net, as well as the rain fly inside of a system that you can either use as a tent or as a... Um, Hammock. Uh, hammock. It's designed as a hammock, uh, like normal to be hung from trees, but because of the design, it lays flat. And so, A, it gets you a better sleep. Um, instead of just being all curled up, you can actually lay flat. You can be more comfortable. Um, and then because it's fully integrated, it's got everything that you need. But because it's flat, you can also lay it on the ground and you can yeah. use some sticks or some uh, hiking poles or something just to yep. prop up the ends. And it, and it works just fine on the ground as well. Um, and they're a local company. And we love uh, you know working with, with local guys where we can. And uh, Derek and his team over there uh, have been great to work with. Yeah, and it's, it's quality, man. Like everything that we try to assume associate ourselves with with Fieldcraft. We're trying to find things that we use that actually work and actually work intended really well. Great materials and Haven Tense has done just that. So head over to their website, which is You can actually get it through our website, which is fieldcraftsurvival.com forward slash Haven Tents and it will redirect you there. Um, and well, then there you can is. use code Fieldcraft for $20 off of the full bundle, which is the tent, the, the bug net, all the stuff, all the guidelines in the rain, the rain tarp and the pad. That's yeah, that. everything. So, yeah, all, yeah. There's no, so much to remember. It is. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. Uh, and then lastly is going to be our friends over at Kafaro. So um, Kafaro, if you're not familiar with it, um, Kevin Estella has built a really good relationship and knows Aaron Snyder really well. And if you're not really familiar with Kafaro equipment, they make some of the best packs and accessories on the planet They're just top notch um, yeah all made in the u.s and it, it they really are just great it is great equipment and uh, i've been carrying around a kafaru pack for a little while now um ever since kevin and i linked up he kind of turned me on to them and their stuff is really really well made you know it it's got all the um built up areas that are needed and aaron being a, a really um good backcountry hunter and spends a lot more nights in the woods um, probably than he does in his own bed, has gone through and evaluated all their packs and, and has a huge influence in designing these. And whenever you take the real experience, and for any of those of you that spend time outdoors like a lot of us do, you know that when you go out and there's some great packs in theory on the market and they never seem to work as advertised or as good as you may hope. Yeah. Um, you don't have that problem with these packs. Uh, they're built for guys that do the things like we do. Yeah, the innovation and, and just putting things in the right place. I mean, look, when a, with a pack, there's, there's, you gotta carry gear. You gotta carry the right amount of gear. You need the quality. I mean, I've, I've drugged packs all over trudging through water and, yep. and stuff, canyoneering and Zion and getting them all wet. And, you know, sandstone down in Southern Utah mm -hmm. is, is, is harsh on packs. And I just got to the point where I'm like, I need 
a quality pack. Yeah. I need something that works and that's not just going to get ripped up, you know, every yeah. time I go down. And, and Kafaru is that pack. I mean, it's it just it, they make good stuff. Yeah, guys. So head over to Kafaru.net. That's Kafaru.net. And that is actually spelled K-I-F-A-R-U, Kafaru.net. And in today's episode, Kevin Estella sat down with Ike Eastman and – I was fortunate enough to go with Ike and Scott and a couple of those other guys from up there and go out on an elk hunt um, last, I think it was November. Um, Ike is the subject matter expert when it comes to big game hunting in the West. Um, He comes from like a long line. I think he's third generation. Um, He's third, yeah. Yeah, third generation guy from the Eastman's family, from the Eastman's Hunting Journal. Um, His entire family and generations before have been doing backcountry hunts. I mean, from his grandfather, Gordon, who was doing, uh, you know, Alaska and then in uh, uh, some different territories in Canada. Doing a lot of photography on, on big game right. and stuff. And for National Geographic. kinds of National Geographic. Yeah. I think Disney yeah. hired him for yep. some. And uh, yeah. it just obviously it runs in the family. Yeah. The, the Canadian government actually hired Gordon Eastman, his grandfather, to go out and explore some different territories in Canada just to see if hunting was as uh, feasible as it is in the United States. And. Um, it's pretty impressive, and all that knowledge has just been passed down. And Ike uh, is the CEO of, of Eastman's now, and, dude, that guy is so knowledgeable. It's insane. I learned, and I filmed a documentary on it, a little mini documentary on the hunt and the experience and the knowledge base that Ike has for uh, backcountry living as well as, obviously, the hunting is insane. You know, If you're into hunting and you haven't watched it, Go to our YouTube, check it out. Yeah, check it, it, it out. It's, it's it's pretty epic. Yeah, it was a good time, man. So uh, hope you guys are as excited for this podcast as I was for having them out to do it. <laughs> so uh, without further ado, Kevin Estella and Ike Eastman. Hey, guys, this is Kevin Estella with Fieldcraft Survival. And today we are joined by a legend in the hunting space. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so someone who, when I said, by the way, you know, I got, I got someone coming by the, the office today and I mentioned his name, people were like, dude, you have no idea what that means. So without further ado, uh, welcome, Mike. How are you? I, I, I'm really, I'm really pleased to be here. I'm really saddened for your crew that we're really excited about this. <laughs> so guys, no, I, it's, it's, it's great to be here. I appreciate you guys. Uh, hosting yeah guys every if you don't know ike eastman is like i said a legend in the industry um i mean i'm gonna let him introduce himself and with everything that he's got going on um but welcome yeah thanks um man it's it's crazy we've got a ton going on i'm the president of eastman's publishing it's a media company in the hunting space uh specifically the western hunting space we've been around i'm third generation Uh, i bought it from my parents about uh, 12 years ago and um my father started the magazine, which is Eastman's Hunting Hunting Journal. It parlayed into Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal and Eastman's Hunting TV. And now we have a whole digital side where we have podcasts, Eastman's Elevated. Uh, we have Beyond the Grid, which is a YouTube TV show on, on Western Big Game. Um, and then, of course, the TV show, which is Eastman's Hunting TV, which is on the Outdoor Channel and has been for 22 years. Um, you know, it's it's just great to be in this industry. I'm blessed that I was born into it. My father, uh, or my grandfather, started filming in 1957 in Alaska, and um, he's he is known as one of the grandfathers to the hunting industry media. Uh, he was he would go up there, 1957, and he would uh, film the wildlife and then bring those 35 millimeter films back and live narrate them in like a high school auditorium and it grew i mean he was traveling all over the country doing this and it parlayed that into he was building theatricals uh in hollywood that were wildlife related uh he did a couple films on wolves and how they're the apex predator uh he did a a film which actually parlays into your crowd very well uh he did a film called north of the sun and in that he went to point hope alaska with the Eskimos before the Eskimos really got, he envisioned, he knew that their, their, their way of life was going away. And before it really started to change with, uh, you know, the mechanized snowmobile and all that stuff, he went up there and spent two winters with them. Uh, the first winter, he did a bunch of hunting. Him and a, a buddy, Warren Johnson, had super cubs. And uh, they flew out and they, they would, you know, go kill polar bears and, and hunt seals and all this kind of crazy stuff. 
Well, on one of the polar bear trips, as they were flying back, they hit a headwind and they ran out of fuel and had to land the airplane. And they landed, instead of it being ice packed, it was a slush cake. So they land the airplane and they crawl out of the airplane as the airplane's sinking and it gets to the wings and stops. And they spent the night on this airplane. Nobody knew where they were. I mean, that was, that was obviously way before GPS, way before a radio system that we currently have. And uh, the next morning they wake up, the ice starts to freeze, breaks the plane up. So they jump, they spent the next two days basically jumping from one ice sheet to another ice sheet, trying to survive. Um, had a had a Russian airplane fly over them. Obviously, just looking, they were trying. They knew they were lost, and they were trying to find them. Um, they just so they ended up spending three days out there, and you know, cold, wet, with nothing. They had literally had nothing but the clothes on their back and some wet sleep uh, down sleeping bags, and they ended up surviving and getting getting uh, picked up by the U.S. military and and taken home and then came back the next winter spent the winter with the with the eskimos went on a whale hunt where they took skin boats out and literally harpooned all of that it was awesome stuff and he he was he was an adventurer and i I like to say that my family is really about adventure i mean we've been to mongolia hunting my brother went to tajikistan been to africa a number of times um you know it's kind of an adventure thing so that's kind of who we are. Um, we're going to. Uh, <laughs> well, that, 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 that's all. Right? Yeah. Total <laughs> badass family filled with lots of grit. That, that's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's fun to talk about. Sometimes I, I mean I I didn't even talk about my dad. Uh, my dad in the while my dad my grandfather was doing all those films. My dad was in Vietnam for two tours. He was a door gunner on helicopters. I mean he was uh, he was a badass himself. He came back. He was an outfitter and then and then worked in the always was a hunter obviously and adventure and started these magazines and uh, started our our purpose is to help guys uh, our mission statement is to is to inform it through entertaining media and inspire so if you're wanting to learn how to hunt it we got something if you want to learn how to trophy hunt we have something for you so um, and it's kept that way for 35 years and I continue doing that and we, the way we deliver things is a little different now you know it's not all uh, print magazines and linear TV we d- we're doing stuff on YouTube and and uh, through blogs and and you know same information just delivered how people are consuming content yeah I would say I think a lot of people in this country got their start probably with their parents like going to the supermarket uh, and it, let's say that if they weren't hunters already if they didn't have a family with a rich hunting history they probably got their start similar to the way that I did, where I was going to the supermarket with my mom, and I'd see these these magazines, right? right? And the lead image was always so powerful, right? Like a guy walking through a field with pheasants flushing, you mm-hmm. know, way out of distance with like the dog jumping through the field or something right. like that. And I think a lot of people got their start that way uh, years ago, but now people are so inspired by seeing others do these hunting activities, whether it's on YouTube or it's right. a, a, a TV show, like you said, on the, the Outdoor Network. Um, I don't think print magazines are going away anytime soon no. because there have been a lot of hunting camps where people go to them and they're like, well, what's the Wi-Fi code? And it's like, <laughs> we are far from, from Wi-Fi. Um, Until Elon puts, grids this country with Wi-Fi, it's, there, there's places we can still escape. Yeah, but I mean, you always will have the technology to read what's in that hunting magazine. Right. Um, and I think a lot of the hunting magazines become like a like part of a personal library. Right? Yeah. Like you can always go back to them. You can always... You can always uh, cite the articles, look at the photos, gain gain inspiration. Um, I mean, I think I think that's really where, where hunting magazines or why hunting magazines are going to stay relevant in the space. And I think one of the reasons that ours has is because it's not a traditional magazine where you know there's seven articles and it's just flooded with advertising with you know advertising that doesn't doesn't really fit in there. It may maybe advertising for a chainsaw or maybe advertising for liquor or tobacco or male enhancement or something because the audience is male. Did you just say male enhancement? I did because that's the that's the <laughs> PC way to say penis pills. Yeah, yep. pump, right? <laughs> but we don't do that. Uh, the, hey, Austin, the, put that away. No, we don't need a prop. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you need a pill. Yeah. Just just saying. <laughs> So 
we've done different because the advertising is specific to hunters. You know, it's, it's weapons that you would use. It's the gear that you would use in the field. Um, and I limit the percentage. It's only, it's less than 40% of our magazine is advertising. The rest of it is content that, that the readers, because it's, that's why we call them journals. They're not magazines, they're mm. journals, because it's something you want on your table, your coffee table, your kids can pick up and read. Um, your, you know, your guests can look at it. It feels like a magazine or it feels like a book, not a magazine, it's thick paper. It's got a rough cover, so it's gritty. Um, it's done on purpose. And I, I, I agree, you know, the, the traditional, um, you know, Newsweek time where they're just loaded with ads, thin paper, it doesn't feel good. That, those, those days are gone. And you want, I love people walk up to me constantly and go, I just love the way your magazine feels. And, and when I'm reading it, I don't have to worry about, you know, your cell phone has, you've, you've probably done this. I do it all, every day, a thousand times you're reading something and all of a sudden you get a notification, you're answering emails, you know, answering text messages, reading some news that just happened. And you never really get to immerse yourself into content where with a magazine, you don't have notifications. You get to immerse yourself into that hunting story or into that gear review or, or into, you know, that tactic mm -hmm. on how do you mule deer glass or mule deer, that type of stuff. Um, so it's never going away, but we still are, you know, we're pivoting and we've pivoted for 10 years. I've doubled the size of our company, um, uh, since I bought it just by delivering the same content in ways that people are consuming it. You know, you, you talk about the cell phone notifications. Um, how do you feel about someone who is maybe in the same blind as you looking at their phone when they should be looking out in the field. There's gotta be some, there's, there's gotta be some, some there's Eastman's pet peeves. That you're... Oh my gosh. There's nothing more frustrating than sitting, you know, we're looking out a window that is epic. I mean, you have the view here is awesome. I can't imagine what this looks like. It's awesome with snow on it, but when the oak brush turns up, but this is a beautiful place and people are, they are consumed by, by their cell phones. Um, they're basically, <laughs> I hate to coin this term, but they're electronic zombies. They're walking around airports and in restaurants. How many times you sit in a restaurant and people aren't talking? They're on their phones. That is so sad, really, really sad. They're missing yeah. a huge personal communication um, interaction with somebody that they obviously care about because they went to lunch or dinner with them. Um, and you know, when I, <laughs> I know it's ironic we're sitting here talking on a podcast and there's people that are sitting at a restaurant with their spouse listening to us. I apologize, but <laughs> it is it is sad. It really is. But I think I think that's a, a great way of looking at <clears throat> why hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, being a sportsman, coming back to that camp, sharing that bread, sharing that fire, sharing that hardship of being out in the field, why so many people are drawn to it. Right, because it's something that you can't mimic on anything electronic. That's right. You know, and I think some of the best times I've ever had were at times where I've said to my friends, I'm like, man, this really sucks. Like, like I can't believe the weather is this bad, <laughs> you know, and you, you'll never feel that. I don't care how many times you swipe left or swipe right. Um, <laughs> you know what I, mean? like, I think it's, it's something that, you know, it, until Android or Apple is able to mimic that, cell phones are going to have a, a, you know, a subordinate place to experiences in the great outdoors um i want to talk i want to talk more about your family though okay. because you know i think a lot of people are like dude he just said that his family landed a plane on a slush <laughs> in the slush in alaska um i mean your family's been around for a long time and there are some names that have been around and when you're telling me the story about your family and your grandfather did he ever rub elbows with dick prenicky um, that name doesn't ring a bell for me. Uh, I wish my dad was here. He'd probably, he would know. Yeah. I'm sure. Wilderness. Similar story, right? Like went up oh, to yeah. Alaska. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That dude was, was a total stud. Yeah. You know, which it sounds like your family. The way he died is unfortunate, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it is, uh, he, so that there's obviously back then the circles were really small. Um, I was telling this story yesterday that when I was a kid, I can remember, playing with toys in the living room of my grandparents' house as my grandfather's, you know, has a, has a drop by friend. And I vividly remember shaking Fred Bear's hand. And I remember them standing. Fred Bear, uh, for those that don't know, he's considered the godfather of the archery industry. I mean, he's bare bows and he invented a ton of, of things in the archery industry. And he was a very, very well-spoken, polite man, lots of adventure. There's a there, YouTube this because it's epic. 
there's a clip of him shooting a polar bear at like point blank with a traditional bow just pinwheels this polar bear and the bear the bear dies it is an awesome one of those those memories or videos that you'll never forget I remember sitting in a living room as they chatted and talked about old stories and this would have been in the early 80s in or late 70s and he was telling stories you know bantering back to each other there's you know that my grandfather was an icon inside the industry but the industry wasn't very big so everybody knew everybody and it was you know if you did something somewhat unique they knew each other um and you know there's a there's icons in our industry and there has been for a very long time um and there's a lot of people that have done a lot of cool things but my grandfather and my father have done more than their fair share yeah for sure for sure um you know, it's interesting. People always say comparison is the thief of joy. Yes. You know, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, I think, was the first one to, to coin that term or that expression. And, you know, when I hear these stories of like Fred Bear shooting a polar bear, I'll say to myself, I'm like, damn, I don't know if I, if I would ever have the cojones <laughs> to do that one. Um, you know, polar bears are, are massive creatures. If you've never seen even a, a, a taxidermied version of a t polar bear, they put every other bear to shame. Um, they are they are the largest predator uh, in North America, and they are they're an amazing creature in the, in you know where they survive and how they survive and you know if they a lot of people have a misnomer of that the bears that they see in a lot in Canada in the summer those bears are actually <laughs> they're adolescents and they're dumb because they didn't get on the ice and and follow the ice and kill seals all the way up as the ice receded in the summer and then came back they got trapped land trapped mm. and which usually causes a ton of problems because they're hungry bears uh, polar bear is the exact opposite of a grizzly bear where a grizzly bear hunts all fall all summer all spring and then barely survives in the winter polar bears survive and hunt all winter and then barely survive in the summer it's complete opposite but they're an amazing animal absolutely amazing well yeah. they, they how they hunt they hunt over, and we're getting sidetracked, but this is really cool. <laughs> they hunt over a hole, and so seals have to come up for air, and they sun themselves. And so a polar bear is the perfect shade of white, and he will lay next to a hole and cover his nose, which is black, because a seal can see it. He'll cover his nose, and as soon as that seal comes up, he has the strength for a 400-pound seal to reach out with one hand, grab, and pull him out of the water and eat him. I mean, you just that force... Can you imagine something that can pick up 400 pounds, <laughs> two guys, and throw them around? That's that's crazy. But yeah, and, and what I was getting at, which goes along with the story, it's like, like I think a lot of people would say, like, okay, Fred Bear did that. I could never do that. But you don't have to compare yourself to a legend like that. No. There, are, you will make some incredible adventures on your own just by going out there and, and experiencing it. But I think a lot of people are worried they're like well i don't even know if i can do it I, i'm gonna screw up like when you when you deal with with clients and with customers and friends and, and people that have never hunted before and they tell you like I, I just don't know how to do it like what's your advice for someone who is the novice who or maybe even someone who's like a bird hunter but they've never gone big game hunting like what's your your advice like the formula to follow from novice to experience like like what would you tell them to do so i always say get a little bit out of your comfort zone but trust your gut mm. so if you if you live in an urban area and you have access to some sort of of out there you know if it's a 20 acre plot of public land if it's somebody's farm whatever slowly get into it go sit in your truck the first hour in the morning the first hour of daylight and the last hour and observe just see what's going on watch deer uh, take a book with you that has all the birds and play a game with how many birds did I see today what else is out here listen to the squirrels roll down your window and just sit there because you're in a vehicle you're not going to get in trouble okay you're probably not going to get in trouble and then the next time take it one step further go sit by a tree within you know within sight of your pickup or your car and just build upon that because that's how everybody's done it. Nobody gets thrust into it, or I shouldn't say, very little people get thrust into it and survive or thrust into it and come out going, I wanna do that every single day. Um, very little people embrace the suck that overnight, right? Um, and then just work 
up to sitting in a tree stand and then okay now i want to hunt i have the ability i have the property i have the tree stand how do i get a tag let me read while you're sitting in a tree stand read the regulations for that state and that species and find out what you need in order to harvest that animal and you know number one go out there prepared you guys talk about being prepared not only for success but be prepared for when things go bad because um, when things go bad, that's how you turn a, an experience into a horrible experience versus a great experience. Yeah, I think we, we were talking this, about this before the podcast. Um, you know, when people say, oh, uh, any plan is better than no plan at all. I hate that. That's, <laughs> like, that's one of my, my least favorite expressions because you could have a plan to fail and die, right? Well, guess what? <laughs> there is a better option. Um, but we were talking before the podcast saying how a lot of hunters, they, they plan backwards right you you think about okay if i am successful how far do i have to, to pack this animal out right um what am i going to use to clean this animal um you know am i going to call up my buddies along the way and say hey guess what you need to come over and help me like they they plan like that planning for success because that's what's fun right and we attach that emotion to that plan right we don't like thinking about when we get lost we don't like thinking about when someone gets injured we don't like thinking about when we do have to spend that night against the tree, yeah. you know, building the fire, uh, which many people will build the fire way too large and sit way too far away, as opposed to building a smaller fire. That's, um, that's the term, the old white man fire. The, the white man fire, hell yeah. yeah. All, my, all my buddies right now, by the way, that have spent nights with me around the fire, when we say, hey, we're building a white man fire right now, you just made them super happy. <laughs> they, they might've gotten a little bit of blood flow just from hearing that. Um, but yeah, I think it's important uh, to to reserve a little bit of that space in your pack just for those, those contingencies. Uh, just in case something bad happens. Um, let me ask you something real quick, because now my head's going, coffee's flowing. Do you have a piece of handed down gear that's in their family that you never leave the truck without when you go on a hunt? Yeah, um, so there's a, there's a, I have a, a couple of things that, that I have that have been passed down. Um, and I've, and I, unfortunately, because of, of timing, I've had to, f uh, swap some stuff out. I used to have a belt buckle um, that was that my in a former life my grandfather uh, his dad was a jeweler and they built this belt buckle when my grandfather was in high school and my grandfather wore this belt buckle through all of these adventures and all of this stuff and so I he passed when he passed away in 96 uh, it went through my dad and then my dad gave it to me and I used to wear it all the time in fact I would have it on today but I got to the point I was reminded uh, by somebody I really care about, my wife that said, are you sure you wanna be wearing that? Mm -hmm. Are you sure you don't wanna be keeping that to pass on to our kids? I went, oh gosh, you're right, because it's starting to get torn, you know, tannered and, and things are gonna start falling apart. So I don't wear that anymore. Um, I do have a rock that, was, that came from Northwest Territories that my uh, grandfather picked up that I that he was passed that rock down. It's a piece of jade that he polished from being a jeweler. And I put it in my pocket and it's my little good luck charm. Um, my brother has, uh, he has uh, my dad, or my grandfather was Catholic. And so he has his St. Christopher that he wears whenever we're on a hunt, he'll have it on. Um, yeah, there's, there's certain things that have been passed down that always go. Um, I have a knife that my dad gave me when I was in, really young that goes in my backpack it's now, completely now you're speaking my language it so completely on, completely worthless knife because it's been i don't even it, i don't even think it was ever built it was built to be a showpiece and it was passed down i've used it a couple times in situations where i forgot a knife or i needed one and didn't have one um but yeah there's there's a few things that they go along constantly yeah not I think, just I, memories <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to take a quick pause from that podcast with Ike and Kevin and talk to you about the Stereo app. Uh, it's a new app that we're starting to use, and it allows us to do a live podcast that you guys can tune into, and we can actually engage with you during the podcast. It's a really cool system. It's really unique. Um, you can go to the App Store and the Google Play Store and download it. Um, but you can even participate in some of the Q&A shows that we're going to be doing uh, and ask questions real time. And there's a, a slew of other um, ways that we can engage with you real time during those podcasts. So uh, we're all going to be taking turns throughout the company, doing podcasts, pulling in guests from other places and, and other different genres of things. 
so you guys can get educated and just spun up on what some other people are doing in the community. Um, go over to Stereo, and you can actually find us at Fieldcraft. So all that information is going to be in the show notes below. Go to the show notes, click the link, download the app, and tune in. I, th- I think with hunters, superstition is really powerful. Superstition is something that, uh, I mean, you can talk to sailors, right? They they don't step on boats with a certain foot. And, yep, you yep. Know, I've got yep. buddies who, you know, they have to wear certain clothing or whatever, like the, the lucky hunting vest or, yep. or whatever it may be. Um, I mean, aside from the, the items that you have, I mean, do you have any traditions in the Eastman family? Yes. Um, and by the way, are they exclusive to you or can the listeners try them? Like, no, are they guaranteed no, I, success? No, uh, they don't work worth a crap. No. <laughs> um, there's some traditions like uh, if you watch, I think on your guys's video that we did, we did a co video on an elk hunt. Um, there's a tradition that after an animal dies, um, that we, after the animal dies, we will pick grass or whatever and put it in the animal's mouth. And it's a tradition, it's a European actually mm-hmm. tradition. It's their last meal. When you send them with a full belly to the, to the next life. Um, which obviously I don't, I don't believe in that. What I do believe is it's respecting what, what you've done, that you've taken a life and that life is gonna sustain more life. It's the circle of life. That's the world we live in. Um, but it's just respect to, to that animal. And that was from Europe? Yeah. I don't know. It came from, uh, to my family, it came from Germany, but I think it's way further back than mm-hmm. that. I believe it's maybe the Hans. I'm not sure. Yeah, because so now the history teacher is going to come I, out. I figured, I, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, right? Like, I've got multiple hats that I wear. History teacher, you know, homicidal maniac. I don't know. <laughs> that one doesn't come out Don't too come out while yeah. I'm here with yeah, that, no, okay? No. Um, but no, I've heard, I've heard very similar uh, traditions. And, and, I, and I know maybe one of the listeners will probably make a comment uh, below this podcast where it comes from, but I know certain tribes would actually cut the feet of the mm. animal, saying that the animal uh, wouldn't be able to run away if they did that first. Others would cover the eyes mm-hmm. out of respect, saying that they, if they did do something wrong, they wouldn't want the animal to see it. Um, it's really, really interesting. Like, I, I think the aspect of hunting People just imagine, okay, you put an arrow through something, you pull a bullet through something, even fishing, right? You you, you land that fish, you bring it on, on board or up to the shore. People are, are fascinated by that. Over the years, I've been drawn more to the butchering aspect. Oh, yeah. I think that's an art form in of itself. Um, I know that you have some steaks downstairs, which I'm totally fired up to, <laughs> to get into. Um, do you have a favorite cut of meat from the animal? I mean, everyone goes right to, to tenderloins, I know. Um, you know, okay, I'm going to get chastised over this, but I'm really not a fan of the tenderloins. They're okay, and they're Too easy. Um, I think they have a uh, – I think that if there's a gamey piece of meat on a game animal, it's their tenderloins because their tenderloins sit really close to the rumen and the gases and everything that's happening inside as they're digesting. Um, I'm really a tinder or a, 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 a backstrap guy. You butterfly that and cook it up on, and it's got to be done on wood fire. I mean, it has to be. Game was built, invented, and on purpose. If you cook it on gas, you go, eh, that was okay. You put it on a pellet grill or over a wood stove, it's it'll be completely different. Uh, and a lot of people try and cook it on their gas grill because it's fast and we're Americans and <laughs> we faster is better, right? If you do it right over that, it, it'll change it, completely change it. You know, um, everything with that hunt along the way, slow, 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 wait, 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 yep, wait. patience. Grilling. Let's just do it as freaking fast as yep, we can, yep. right? Like, just yep. a little bit more patience. You know? My dad always says uh, there's three rules in hunting. Patience, patience, patience. Everything you have to, you do is got to be slow, not only for safety, but you're in a different world. Nothing in the environment outside goes quick, except for, you know, a bear. Bears do move quick. (laughs) You mentioned Fred Bear. Uh, Was he the one that said uh, everyone is so preoccupied with what camouflage to wear, your grandfather hunted deer with red flannel on? Yes. He was the one that said that, right? Yes. Yeah, and he just said, sit still. Yep. Be still 
yeah, in the probably. outdoors. We, we got to get a red flannel over here. The one with the pump. <laughs> so speaking of another guy in the room, um, I'm not going to call him out or anything like that, uh, but he might be wearing the same exact uh, Sika camo that I'm wearing. Uh, <laughs> he said that I should ask you uh, about crypto on a hunt and uh, toilet paper. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> second, third, it was the third hunt of the season, and I had uh, it was a backpack trip in the Wyoming Range of Wyoming, and it was Scott and I, and we had we had scouted this area. And it was it was we had found some bucks. I mean, it was going to be the hunt, and uh, we went in there. And we as we left the trailhead, you know, I was like, gosh, I, my stomach's just not right. I thought, well, I'm just I'm just nervous or I'm excited. You know, it'll be all right. And uh, we get in there, and after four or five bowel moves all the way in there, I'm like, this is uh, this is more than nerves. There's something going on, and and I spent four days. Well, the best part is my partner, who always forgets something, it'd be a headlamp, it'd be a fork, you know, his, his spork, something. Guess what he decides to forget on this one? I'm guessing toilet paper. Yes. So we have one person's ration of toilet paper to share between the two of us. I spent four days, literally thought I was going to die. I mean, you're, you're uh, on the side of a hill uh, every probably 20 to 30 minutes. You're, you know, using the facilities. I lost a pair of binoculars on that trip. It was bad. It was, it was bad. I came out on the way home, called, call uh, my doctor. I said, Hey, here's what's going on. He goes, mm. he goes, you have one of two things. You either have Jardia or you have crypto. I think we sh Jardia treatment's a lot worse. Let's 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 give you the crypto stuff. If that doesn't work, we'll go to the next. And sure enough, it was crypto. I think everyone's got a shitty story, and by that <laughs> I don't mean a bad story, but a story of when you feel like you're going to explode yes. from both ends. Sometimes, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, since you were so kind to share that one, I'll tell you that uh, there was there might have been this one time in August of. No, July of 2016, I might have been in uh, Fairbanks, Alaska, and I might have been a little backed up. Well, suddenly, out of nowhere, nature decided to call, and I might have had to sacrifice a sock. Um, <laughs> and and I'll tell you, you know, like, you know, that's not the best way to do it. I you know, know what the best way? You know the yeah, bottomless shirt. Yep, give yeah. yourself a belly shirt. <sighs> Man, yeah, the, the belly shirt straight out of the 80s, right? <laughs> Mullets, belly shirts, hollow handled knives, so cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's funny because everyone's got one of those stories about like just everyone has one, you know, yep. whether it's in hunting camp or in my case, I was just, you know, visiting a nature preserve. Which that was the worst part. It oh, was, geez. There were people around. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out one of my buddies who's one of our assistant instructors. And I know he's going to listen to this one. It was during hunting season. So he always talks about how he was in the woods with his son and he had nature was going to call. So he goes and he's hanging out. Um, he finds a nice quiet place. He takes everything out of his pockets and he says that he has all of his accoutrements, right? So he, he, pull, yeah, he pulls down his pants and he looks up and there's a hunter from a deer blind waving him like, dude, no, no. And, and he had to like, you know, pull up everything. But uh, You're too close to my blind. Go yeah, away. Yeah, there, there's a little bit of scent right there. Uh, Man. Oh, geez. God. Yeah, that's there. there's a, a pile of those types of stories. Pile? You, you have to use I the did. word pile. I did. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Appreciate that. Man. I mean, God. So let, let's let's bring the audience up to speed with our you know little collaboration that we're doing here. Uh, we did the first video for you guys, um, which was all about first aid for hunters, trauma for hunters. It was Austin, you know, the guy with the pump over there in the red flannel. Now the audience has a perfect visual. Um, <laughs> but he uh, he and I, we, we talked about just common injuries, right? Eye injuries. Yep. Um, unfortunately, people falling out of tree stands, uh, cutting themselves, tightening broadheads on, on arrows. I mean, have you, like, actually, no, I, I won't even ask that question. I was going to say, like, uh, what was, like, what are the most common injuries that you've seen? But uh, we can address that in a future post or video that we do, but we're going to be doing this collaboration with you guys where we're going to bring more of the preparedness side, kind of bridging that gap from our audience, which has a lot of the, the military background, the tactical background, the prepper side into the realm of, of the hunter. Um, and, you know, I think you guys are going to show our audience what the, the hunting and the sportsman world is able to do for people who want to experience more self-reliance of, of a lifestyle. Yep. Um, 
so I mean, is there anything that you're you're looking forward to that, or maybe you want to give us a little subtle hint, like, hey, you guys should really hit on this. Um, one, any- I think one of the things that I'm really excited for is you guys sharing your knowledge of, you know, we, we were just talking about everybody's prepared for success, but not prepared for when things go wrong. Um, I think that's a huge thing that is missing in my audience's knowledge is when things go wrong, what do you do? At what point do you call it? Number one, I called it when I ran out of toilet paper. (laughs) What, you know, what you do with broken bones? What do you do with lacerations? What laceration is, you know, you can deal with what laceration do you need to get out out of the back country? Uh, what what do you do with, you know, like I said, broken bones or the the plethora of of when things go bad? Um, at what point do you just stop? And uh, I call it either you feel like you're swimming upstream or you have to pivot and change. Uh, I think there's a huge, I guess, gap that needs to be filled in our, in the hunters in the hunting industry about that. I also think that it's going to be fun to share with your audience. You know, there's a lot of, this is 2021. So there was a lot of people that just shy of a year ago got stuck with empty freezers and went to the supermarket and there's no, there's no meat. What do we do? How do I feed my kids? Ketchup soup's getting old. Um, you know, what do we do? And so I think bringing the knowledge of you can do this, go on the field and you can get a leftover tag for a doe, shoot two doe uh, deer or antelope or two cow elk. Don't shoot two cow elk. That's a lot, but shoot a cow elk and you can fill your freezer for the, for the entire year and you never have to worry about meat. And it's not impossible. It's very easy. Some very simple knowledge. Uh, if you've ever cut up a steak at a restaurant, you can butcher an animal. Mm-hmm. It's very easy. Yeah, I, it was funny during uh, during the pandemic. One of my good buddies, one of my hunting buddies, he's a auxiliary state trooper in the town over, well, where I used to live. Okay, um, and he had twenty three years on the job as a state trooper prior to that, and he was a ranger before that. Well, he is a deer fanatic, uh, and he would always call me up whenever there was roadkill. And people <laughs> people have this averse, you know, like they're like, "Oh my God, you're you're eating roadkill." It's like the deer got hit in the head. And either we can let the state take that deer and throw it in a pile in the woods, or we can take that deer that's still warm. It was literally hit 20 minutes ago, right? And we can butcher it. Um, I think people were they were getting creative with the ways that they were getting food. And I even put it out on social media. I was like, if you guys are running low, I have all this extra deer. I'll grind it up for you. It's if you yep. if you can eat hamburger, you can eat ground venison. Yeah. Um, just don't grind your back straps. That's sacrilege. <laughs> Please uh, don't do that. Yeah. Those those are the those are the cuts that you get at a at a restaurant that cost you fifty bucks. Yeah. Per meal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think it's going to be really interesting to see because I think the preparedness and the survival community can learn a lot from the hunters. The hunters can learn a lot from the pre- preparedness and survival industry. Absolutely. Um, and I I just, I just am very enthusiastic and excited for for what's to come. I look forward to questions. I mean, if you guys have questions, hit me up on hit me up on the Instagram or Facebook or or shoot me an email. Um, it's Eastmans.com because that's how we'll learn. If it, we'll learn what your audience needs to know by them responding and saying, "Hey, what what about this? What about that?" Um, and then we can tailor something that fits your audience. Yeah, and I think we were talking about this before that Eastmans as. Uh, well-versed as they are and experienced as they are, very approachable, right? I mean, it's amazing when I, I'll get like a message or one of the guys here at Fieldcraft will get a message from someone on Instagram or, or one of the, the various social media platforms and people will say, oh my God, I got a response. It's like, we're human beings. Yeah. We're just a bunch of dudes. Yeah. You know, and guess what? We like talking about what we like doing. So, yeah. you know, uh, definitely, definitely hit up Ike and hit up the, the Eastman's crew because you're going to not find a more... Uh, reliable source of information when it comes to all things outdoors and being a sportsman. Um, what kind of hunts you got coming up or what, what's your next trip? Well, as, uh, as you may, you may know, some of your audience may not know there's, uh, out West, you have to draw tags. And so you have to apply, um, you have to apply each state for each species and which can be very complex because you have odds and you have points and it's a lottery system. And 
And uh, so we're in that application period right now. It's usually January through May for all the states. And so we'll apply for everything. I'll apply for everything. And then depending on what I draw, uh, is where where I'll hunt. Usually, the beauty is I live in Wyoming, and as a Wyoming resident, you have a lot of o- OTC over-the-counter opportunities um, that you can just pick up an elk tag and deer tag, and uh, you can get out in the field and hunt. So there'll always be that. Um, so we'll see what draw what draws come out in June. What I get, I will have. Uh, I got an awesome hunt that I always do in Colorado, where we take one of our bow hunting subscribers. And uh, we just draw randomly out of the whole subscriber list, and we take them to Colorado on an elk hunt, uh, which is one of my funnest hunts because you get to take somebody that would never have an opportunity to hunt in a place like that and show them uh, not only the experience, but show them from A to Z, from point in camp till they go home with a trophy and a cooler, bunch of coolers full of meat. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that's that. I'll do that. Um, I'll do a, a, a backcountry mule deer hunt hopefully this year. Uh, I had a really good fall last year. The elk hunt that you guys did was just one of five that I was on that was just epic, absolutely epic. Yeah, Austin's smiling because he knows that it was only epic because he was there <laughs> with, the, with those long brown locks and the twelve-year-old mustache. Yeah. The best part is when we. The best part about that is when we show up and he's he's looking at. We're setting up a tent. He goes. He literally looks at me. And goes. That's bear proof, right? I said, well, yeah, they can't do zippers. <laughs> and guys, here's the thing: like, I, I'm loving, uh, I'm loving this collaboration because the, what we're what we're talking about now is what you feel. If you've never been in a hunting camp or a fishing camp or anything like that, it's like this 24 hours a day. Oh my gosh! And, I mean, there are there are things that you. It's kind of like Cancun, right? Like what happens in Cancun stays in Cancun, <laughs> except for like herpes, um, which. Austin again. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I don't need to know what that looks like. Yeah, or smells like. Um, <laughs> but uh, but the the this is the reason why. Like, obviously, we want you to get involved in the great outdoors because philosophically, it just it's where you should be. Um, I think spiritually, you feel good when you're out there. Physically, you're doing something healthy, right? You're you're not just sitting around all all day watching the boob tube, um, but in terms of like building community, I, I have so much fun around other hunters, other fishermen, um, other sportsmen. I don't care if we're ice fishing. I don't care if we're bird hunting. It's just this this community. And if you guys are looking for that community, it's out there. Yeah, right. You just absolutely. have to ask for it. And guess what? Hunters, fishermen, they like taking people out. Now, if you are a total stranger and all you say is, hey, where are you catching fish? Wrong approach. Uh, <laughs> you know, where, where did, you, did you see any deer up there? What are you using? Yeah. Build those relationships because you'll meet some of the best friends of your life, you know, in those communities. Um, I'm not a big fan of when the communities tend to kind of attack each other, right? Because I think ultimately with sportsmen, the the bigger threat are the anti-sportsmen. I mean, tell I me, you must have you must have encountered that a handful oh, yeah. of times. I now agree. I hear they're using drones. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah. I, I agree 100. percent There's a sportsman or sportsman. Uh, we all we may do it slightly different. Uh, I I won't hunt on a high fence ranch. I don't hold it against people. I understand why they do that. That's fine. That's just not something I'm interested in. I also, I mean, on the other other side of this, I have no interest in in hunting sheep. There's guys that do. There's nothing wrong with it. I think sheep are a neat animal. I just that I don't have that bug. Um, and so you're right. I think if if we come together as a as a hunting community, an outdoor community, a sportsman's community, and work against the antis to not like we're in war. They're just misinformed. They don't understand that how conservation in North America works and that the conservation, the money that goes into conserving our wildlife is not paid for by the government. It's not paid for by these organizations that call themselves or mm-hmm. conservation organizations. Uh, they're not. It's not. It's done by the sportsmen and it's not done in license sales. It's done every time somebody buys a weapon. Mm-hmm. Your guys is every time one of your guys buys a weapon or buys and buys ammo, that money, the Pittman Robertson Fund, goes back into conserving wildlife, and it's a huge amount of money. And that's how that's how your game and fish department are saving the little species, the species of toads, and that's how they're uh, managing grizzlies, and that's how they're putting wolves in Yellowstone. It is not. The, the Friends of the Wildlife Fund. That's not what they do. They take that fund to sue the government to make their own agenda. Yeah, and I and I think that's what 
it's all about education. Like it, it comes back to yeah. that, right? It's, it comes down to education. Um, you know, I've met a handful of people, and I probably will meet more doing this, who never fished or hunted before. You take them out for the first time, and no pun intended, they get hooked. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, that was awesome. And some of the big names that you've you might listen to their podcast or whatever, they were taken out for the first time, and now they're they're preaching, you know, how how powerful of an experience yeah. it is. Absolutely. Um, but I know we're running short on time. I know George is downstairs, probably getting that grill fired up. Oh, perfect. Um, but I know you've said it before. Let everyone know where they can find you yeah. and, and where they should be clicking. Uh, yeah, so on social medias, so Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, it's Eastman's Hunting Journals. Uh, we're putting content on there constantly and, and short videos, long videos, uh, epic videos, gear reviews, all that stuff. Also, Eastman's.com is our main website, which then you can start reading articles. You can start you know, going down the rabbit trail of, of hunting. Um, check me out, Ike Eastman on Instagram. Uh, send me a message, all that stuff. Uh, I'd love to hear from you and, and uh, give me questions and then I'll respond. Awesome. Well, Ike, thanks so much. Yeah, I appreciate it, Kevin. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, like, we did not rehearse this. Uh, we were talking about our our aversion to, to having any notes in, in front, but, <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's just what it is. So, yep. uh, it's, it's better. It's more natural. Though. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So, all right guys, uh, this is Kevin Estella with Fieldcraft survival. Uh, check us out on all of our platforms. Check us out on Instagram, check us out on YouTube, on locals. And, uh, as always feel free to ask us questions. So thanks for listening. All right, guys, that wraps up that podcast with Ike Eastman and Kevin Estella. Uh, I hope you guys are as impressed as I was when I first met Ike and listened to him talk about backcountry hunting out west. Dude's absolutely incredible. So uh, one more time, I just wanted to remind you guys about the Stereo app. Uh, it's an app that allows us to do a live, real-time podcast, and you guys can engage with us during that podcast. We're going to be doing Q&A sessions, bringing in guests from all over the place in all different types of genres for you guys to get educated and learn about what's going on. So all the information is in the show notes below. Go down, find it, click that link, and download Stereo, and find us at Fieldcraft. Head over and give it a listen.